Y'all, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're doing our study on the life of Moses. I'm really excited about tonight. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to complete as much as maybe I had intended to, but it's so good. I sure don't want to rush, rush through it. It's been ministering to my life as I've been studying. And this is part of... Uh, Stephen's sermon, okay, only sermon we know of, okay, he might have preached other times, but only sermon that we know of where Stephen ministered and spoke and preached the Word of God. It was a wonderful sermon, and he was stoned at the end of it. First martyr in the New Testament, and uh, it's wonderful that we have his, his sermon here. But he speaks about Moses, and he speaks this in, in Acts chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. And seeing one of them, this is speaking about Moses and what we're going to talk about tonight, suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And there's some really, really wonderful things in this, this lesson tonight. I just pray that uh, we would all lay hold on it. We know that... Uh, Moses, we talked last week or two weeks ago about the choice that he made, right? To step down from, from uh, next in line to be, being Pharaoh and being raised and living that life. He stepped down, uh, really stepped up, but in a worldly sense, he stepped down, okay? In a natural sense, to uh, uh, identify himself with the people of God and with the Hebrews, and it was a very definite decision. He wasn't confused. He wasn't just acting on some little whim. You know, it's apparent that he counted the cost. He stepped down and he, he uh, by faith, made that choice. Well, he makes this decision when he's, he's going to check on his brothers. And we're going to read some of the scriptures here in a little while. So now he's leaving the throne and all the, the royalty live in the palace life. And he wants to go see how his brothers, the Hebrews, are doing. He knows, that he knows they're being oppressed. And he ends up killing one of the Egyptian taskmasters that was beating one of his Hebrew brothers who was a slave. We know the story. And uh, it was actually a very heroic act, if you want to look at it that way. It was uh, to step down from the life that he had and to choose to suffer with the people of God for a while, okay? It, and it was a noble thing that he did, actually, because he could have just thrown some money at him. You know, and he could have, he could have done some political, uh, you know, uh, advocacy for them or something like that to try to, to, to change some policy with the king. You know what I mean? Or he could have... Uh, started a fund and given some money to help relieve their suffering a little bit, but he stepped down and said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm going to be with them." And it is a, there's a, a sense here at the end of that what what uh, what Stephen wrote that the people should have known that he was going to be the deliverer. You know, he thought they would have known, "I'm going to be your deliverer," but they knew it not, not at that time. Okay, and so. He gave himself, which was a wonderful thing. But at the same time, at this point in his life, he was 40 years old, and at this point in his life, he had a whole lot to learn. Not in the school of the Egyptians, but in the school of Christ. 
He had a lot to learn in the school of the Lord and the, the teaching and the ministry of the Holy Spirit ministering to his life to make him that deliverer. Okay, he had the, the thought in his mind to do it, but God had a lot to do in him. And right at this point in his life, he was full of his, himself. I'm not saying he was wicked. I'm not saying he was living in immorality, but he had to be humbled. God had to break him. God had to work in his life to empty him of himself when he didn't even realize probably that he had this self in him so that God could then really use him. I want to read two scriptures because what was going to happen later in his life is he was going to be a vessel. He was going to be like a, a channel through which God could minister. He was not that at this point. He just thought, I don't like seeing this guy hurt this Hebrew slave. I feel sorry for him. He kills the Egyptian. And it wasn't God's timing or his way. But the Bible tells us later that God, he made his known ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. He was going to come to learn the ways of God. There was going to be, like I said, the school of the Lord, if you want to call it that, the school of Christ that T. Austin Sparks talks about where Jesus says, take my yoke and learn of me. That's not just salvation. That's taking the yoke of Christ once we are saved and learning this Savior. Not only learning about Him, some facts about Him, but learning Him. Learning Him. Okay? And uh, Moses, he made his ways known unto Moses. Another Psalm 77. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he was going to have to come to a place where God could lead, but God could lead through a man. God could deliver, but God could deliver through a man. So the man had to be totally, not perfect or sinless, but he had to be totally uh, given over to God. He had to be totally rid of himself so the Lord could come in unhindered, I guess you would say, and minister and live and love and direct and teach and speak and, and work through the man. And he was not there yet. Okay? He didn't know he wasn't there yet. At this point, like I said, he was acting uh, out of his own energy, I guess you could say, out of his own strength. But there was going to come a point where he would lean wholly on the Lord. He would lean wholly on the Lord. It's an amazing thing that God can do that in a man or a woman or a person. But he can take that life and he can, however long it takes him, he knows. Okay? Whatever is necessary. He can take that life and break it, but not crush it. He can break it and expose what needs to be exposed and strengthen what needs to be strengthened and wash away with His blood what needs to be washed away and then build back up. You know, I always think about this, the first house that Dee and I remodeled, and I know I've shared about it, but it took two years, but when, I first, when we first got it, I literally stripped it down. I'm going to strip the siding off and then the the stuff under that off and and then on the inside I pulled up wallpaper and paneling and then old sheetrock and I got down to these studs. I mean it was good and solid. It wasn't a rotten board on the house. But I had to strip it down to nothing. I'm talking about shingles, everything. The little uh, awnings over the windows, door hinges, everything. And chunked it all. And then started back up. And and uh, God can do that in my life and in your life and the lives of His people. And 
Um, there was this man that God saw he could use. God saw because God sees all things, but it would take him a long time, wouldn't it? 40 years from that day that he killed the Egyptian before the Lord sent him back. Well, what happened in that 40 years? We're going we're gonna to talk about some of this, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of lonely days in, in that time and trials and uh, had to, again, had to be broken down and shaped into a vessel prepared unto to a good work. And that's what Paul says to Timothy, that, uh, that we're to be vessels of honor unto the Lord, sanctified, meet, or prepared unto every good work. It's like we're fit for the Master's purpose. Purpose, not because we think we're fit, but because we're fit. Because He made us fit and, and prepared us for that. God, uh, God can only use chosen instruments. He can only use those that He chooses and specifically fits for a specific thing. Everybody was not called to do what Moses did. Now everyone in this room is called by the Lord to be holy and to live for God and separate. And there's something He has for every one of our lives in Christ for His glory on this earth. But everybody's not is doing everything. I'm not building an ark like Noah. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not the apostle to the Gentiles like Paul. I'm the apostle to the Jews like Peter. We're all called to do what, what He's called us to do, but He's got to make us that. He has to fit us for that. And it comes after deep uh, soul searching and dying to ourselves. And it really is a wonderful lesson. There's four points I want to bring out tonight, y'all. If I get to four, I might only get to two. But uh, his first attempt at deliverance. What was it that sparked that? In other words, what, what motivated him to kill the Egyptian? Thinking, I imagine his mind, he thought, people are going to see what I'm doing. I'm, I'm this guy that stepped down. I've come to help my people. And, and he, he probably imagined the people were going to rally behind him. All right, here's the first, first attempt to sort of overthrow or defend or fight back against the Egyptians. Moses, remember he had been a warrior in the Egyptian army. He was a mighty man. He was schooled and trained and, and uh, wise and royal and powerful and all that. And he's come and he probably thought that people were going to rally behind him. But what he did is... Is he, he came from his own uh, sympathy, I guess he would say. And sympathy is not a bad thing, okay? Or compassion is not a bad thing. But this sprang largely, it appears like, out of his own human sympathy. Like, I don't think it's right that you're treating this Hebrew this way. And he killed him. And... Uh, he went unto his brethren, brethren to check to, and his heart was filled with pity. And I want us to read this real quickly. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And let's read 11 through 14. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren. Remember, he'd already made this choice to identify with his people. And he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said unto, 
said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince or a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And so that, that was the story that Stephen was talking about in his sermon that we know about. And so, again, you could say it was, it was an act of, it was noble, it was brave, he had compassion. Uh, but the author of this book makes a great point that the mere impulse of pity is not ever going to be strong enough to carry us through. He makes a very good point. We're going to talk about this for a moment. It's not that we shouldn't have pity. It's not that the people of God should not be compassionate on hurting or less fortunate or anything like that. We should. But that in and of itself is not the call. That in and of itself is not the power to lay down your life for another and to walk this thing out for God. That, that a lot of times can rise from our own humanity. There are lost people that can be moved with compassion to do noble things. Okay? But it's not enough to, as the author puts it here, the mere impulse of pity would never have been strong enough to bear him, Moses, through the weary years of the desert march. He was going to have 40 years, not only in the desert, by himself with the Lord, you know, as a shepherd, he was going to have 40 years leading the children of Israel like a father. Like a, like a father taking care of a little baby who can do nothing for themselves. Forty years of that. Of a lot of Bible scholars say 1.5 to 2.5 million people. Okay? And the pity that he showed at that time that overcame him and he killed this Egyptian to help his brother, that would have, would have worn off, so to speak. That in and of itself would not have been enough to carry him through this calling that God was going to call him to. And so this first attempt was, uh, was sprung out of that. It sprung out of some impulse. Okay? But not the calling of God. Later in life, Moses was going to be made that man that we've talked about. And he was going to bear the children of Israel like on his own back, so to speak. He was going to intercede for them. He was going to ask at one point that he might be blotted out of God's book of life that they might be spared. I mean, think about it. He was not there yet. Okay? There's a lot that had, God had to do between killing this Egyptian and coming to a point in his life where he would say, Lord, if you're not going to be the God of this people and lead this people and bring us through into the promised land, then blot me out of your book of life. That's an amazing statement. Uh, he was going to intercede for them. He had to come to a point where he received this divine compassion of the Lord that he couldn't shake. He didn't wear off in the morning. If they offended him, he didn't say, okay, well, forget it. I tried to help you and now you've offended me, so I'm done with you. Do you all see the difference? There's a big difference in that. And uh, there's a lesson here that we can learn that... Uh, there's a difference between our passion for something and a real calling of God. Our passion for something, I'm talking about as Christians, and, and doing something out of a real principle. In other words, doing something, I do this because it's right. I don't necessarily feel like it today or not. I'm not overwhelmed maybe at this particular moment, 
with pity or whatever it may be, our feeling of nobility or courage. I live this way and I live this way consistently and I live this way all the days of my life because it's right. It's a principle. It's a character of God. It's a trait of God that doesn't come and go based on circumstances or my humanity or my feelings or my energy or something like that. There's, it's a big difference. I'm not saying God doesn't touch our emotions and move us and what we do, we do with passion. But to really do something out of principle because it's the right thing to do. Or I don't do this because it's the wrong thing to do. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a principle. And it's, it's, it's like a settled purpose as opposed to an impulse. A settled purpose. D.L. Moody made a, a covenant between the Lord. I know I've shared this before. It's not something God commands everyone to do. He made a covenant to the Lord that He would not let the sun go down any particular day without sharing the Gospel to at least one person. It was something that was in Him. There were days He didn't feel like it. There were days He was tired. There were days time got away from Him and He felt like well, there's no sense now. The day's almost over. But he did what he did out of principle, not out of feelings. And that is, isn't that a lot stronger? Isn't that a lot more useful and powerful and a more wonderful witness for the Lord? And, and we, could, we could think of examples of, of this in, in our own lives. Or, you know, a missionary may come and share this, this tale, these tales of what the mission feels like. And how exciting it is and how desperately the people need the Lord and how desperately workers are needed or money's needed. And some pe people just out of impulse are the ones that write out a big check, okay? Or to give themselves, I'm signing up next week to go to Africa. I'm not ridiculing that if God's called them to, okay? But sometimes if it's not the Lord, it's just an impulse out of emotions, they're going to find real quickly they're stranded on a mission field and they were never called to it. And what in the world am I doing out here? And they might get bitter at God. Thinking God let them down, but God never called them to that. You understand what I'm saying? They gave all their money and now they're broke. And, they're, and God didn't call them to give all, all their money. They just, in a heat of emotion, which it can be good, but they, they gave it all over. That is not the loftiest motive for Christian service. That can die down. The fire or that you feel in that enthusiasm can die down. It's far better to, uh, to have a strong sense, like I said, of doing what's right and what God requires and, and undertake a very definite work that the Lord's called me to and, and stick with it. Because when that happens, then it won't matter if somebody offends you. It won't matter if, if uh, people are ungrateful or unthankful. You understand what I'm saying? Moses left what he did and, and went to help the people. If he had just done it for people, there were a thousand times over, he could have gotten offended because the people weren't thankful. The people wanted to stone him. You brought us out here to kill us. They turned on him. So if he was only doing it for people, he would have quit a thousand times. Because we get out there and we're, we're all disillusioned. We're all, the only thing carrying us is emotions. Okay? And enthusiasm. And then all of a sudden, somebody offends us. Somebody we're trying to help is ungrateful and, and is offended 
or offends us and I'm thankful. And we're like, well, man, you know, and then and they lose it. But if you if that person had undertaken that with the real calling, that it doesn't matter. OK, if people offend me or are ungrateful or unthankful, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing it for God. I deserve hell anyway. So if people are unthankful, they're unthankful. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love, the Lord's going to love through me. It takes a while for that man or woman to be made into that. But that's far better to act that way. Uh, if people mistreat us, it makes no difference at all. It makes no difference at all to our calling and us finishing what God's called us to do. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's a big difference. And I think the world of Christians is filled with a lot of people that undertake something, again, with the romance of it, the initial enthusiasm of it. They drop everything. They go after that. And, and perhaps they're not called to it. They, we need to be made that. We need to be made that inwardly. Okay, so second thing about this first attempt. Okay, so first he acted out of his own impulse and maybe sympathy, um, which was not horrible, but it wasn't the best. Secondly, his acts, his acts were premature. It wasn't God's time, was it? The, the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Because that was what was promised in Genesis 15, 16. Isn't it amazing how the word of God all ties together? In Genesis 15, 16 with Abraham, he says, he's, he didn't have a nation yet. And he said, when you do have a nation, Abraham and all these descendants, they're going to be taken captive to, to a people that they don't know, to another land. And then after 400 years, I'll bring them out. And... And then, uh, then I'll judge those people that held him captive because the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. And so it wasn't full yet. So Moses acted. He knew it was about time, but it according to the prophecies. But he wasn't ready and the time wasn't. And also the people, uh, the people weren't quite, I guess you would say at their, the place where, where they were ready to call upon the Lord. And then, in other words, the Hebrews, even though they were slaves and they were miserable and they hated it, they probably were sorrowful and bitter and you know, all that. They weren't even quite to the place yet to where they were crying out to Jehovah. They, they were, had intermingled with the idols of Egypt. Some of them were worshiping and partaking of the idolatry of Egypt. And as horrible as it was for them, God had to get Moses ready and he had to get those people ready to where they would call upon him. And just for time's sake, I'm going to read this. Exodus 2.23, later in that chapter, it says, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. They had to come to a place where they began to cry unto the Lord. Okay? And then he would respond. He was their God. He's the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and so Moses had to be prepared for 40 more years, and the children of Israel had to come to a place where they were calling out to the Lord for deliverance. And neither, had, neither of those things at this time were, were, uh, were complete. And so, again, sometimes we can, uh, we can act prematurely even though it's the right act. Now think about this. You think about Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul. 
You remember when he was getting ready to fight and the Philistines were uh, are all prepared to attack and the Israelites were scared and Samuel says at a certain day appointed, I'm going to show up and offer the, the sacrifice and pray before you go fight. And, and Saul got nervous because the time for Saul, Samuel to show up was there and Samuel hadn't showed up yet. So what does he do? He acts, Saul did something foolish. He was not a priest. And he entered into the priest's office and rolls up his sleeves. Well, I'll just do what Samuel would have done because all the people are watching. And I, I you know, got a lot of pressure on me right now and looking at his watch. I know he didn't have a watch, but Samuel should have been here by now. And he acted hastily and made a sacrifice that only the priest should have done. And no sooner had he done that than what happened? Samuel walks up. Samuel showed up. He showed up when he was supposed to show up. And Saul had acted hastily. And he, it was a mistake. Okay? It was a mistake. And same thing can happen to us. We need to learn to wait. Even though we have it burning in our hearts and it is from God, we need to wait until we know it's the time of the Lord. We need to wait even when life's passing by and we're getting old and gray-headed. If He hasn't kicked the door open yet and made it clear that this is what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it, we need to wait. And we think in our minds, we've got it all figured out. These are the best years of my life. I should be actively doing this, this, and this. Well, we do need to be serving God. I'm not saying we sit on the sidelines. But uh, think about this. When God's time is right, one blow from the Lord can do what you and I could never do in a lifetime of trying outside of His time. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Wait on the Lord. And when it's time, He can part a Red Sea. When it's time, He can uh, smite the Syrian army with blindness. When it's time, in one moment, the enemies that are getting bigger and bigger and the giants around your life that you feel called to go slay are getting bigger and bigger and more numerous. In one moment, when it's time, He can knock them down. In one moment, when it's time, He can make the walls of Jericho fall flat. But wait on His time. It wasn't time to shout for God has given us the city on the fifth time around. It was on the last day they were to march six times, right? And then shout. And, uh, and on, for this, on the seventh day, shout and the Lord would give the city. And so Moses acted hastily. This is some mistakes about his first try of deliverance, okay? He was going to be the deliverer, but not at that time. Another mistake. Uh, he worked, and this kind of ties in with the first one, he worked out of his own human strength. He's a warrior. He's a soldier. I can kill this Egyptian. Nobody's looking. He killed the one soldier. that was totally out of his own strength. There was nothing supernatural about it. There was nothing, an act of God, God going before him. It was out of his own strength. And uh, it was... It was probably a rude awakening to him when the very next day after he killed him, he's coming to you know settle a quarrel between two Hebrew slaves, and one of them looks at him and said, "You can kill me like you did the Egyptian." So he was rebuked. He was rebuffed. Uh, they didn't want him to rule over them. They, they, you know, to be their ruler at this time, and he it probably surprised them. They should have been grateful. He it says. He supposed that his brothers 
had have, would have known that God had chosen him to be their deliverer. By his hand, he would deliver them. But he says, but they knew it not. Again, it wasn't time. He had acted in his own strength. And um, it, caught him, it caught him by surprise. And so God's time had not arrived. And there's something that we can all learn. There's a scripture that says, by strength shall no man prevail. By strength shall no man prevail. I'm talking about, he's talking about our own strength. Now we're a little stronger, we're a little stronger than this one. We're going to prevail here. It's only the Lord's strength. It has to be. And when he's ready to move, then nothing can stop him. The Egyptian army, the Egyptian pharaoh, the Egyptian empire, the chariots of iron that were chasing him out into the wilderness, nothing could stop him when it was time. They didn't have to live a, lift a spear or a sword. Same in Jehoshaphat's day. Stand still. You know, the battle's not yours. They didn't have to lift up a sword or spear. And all these uh, million Ethiopians and, and others that had joined him in Jehoshaphat's day were killed. When God does it. Okay, but God, God has to get us weak before He can get us strong. He's got to break us down of self. Self-confidence, self-assurance, strength, uh, talents, abilities, things that, things that we have that we said certainly this could be useful to God. And really, He's got to get us emptied of ourself. He's got to get us down to nothing. He can use some of those things, but He'll use them as He chooses. He's got to get us stripped of ourselves. And so remember Gideon. Gideon has 10,000, I believe, to start with. And, and, and it's pared down to 300. In other words, Gideon was too strong originally to go fight the, the Amalekites and the Midianites. He was too strong. God had to weaken him and get him down to 300. Then he says, now you're ready. 300 men. Because said, we could cram 300 probably in this room and, and right around here, you know, maybe that little area right outside. Uh, he had to weaken him before he could use him. And there's something we can all learn from that. And God's not going to entrust His power to someone until they're humbled. Until they're emptied. And then actually not only emptied, but conscious of our own helplessness. I'm aware, God. I thought I was this. Even as a Christian, I thought I was this. But you've been teaching me and showing me. I'm really this. I'm the lowest of the low. I'm a worm. I'm the one laying flat on the ground and people step over me. I'm a nothing of nothing. And I really know it. I don't need somebody to tell me. I know it. And when we get to that point, God can use us. Humble yourself there under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Uh, the most prominent saints like Paul have to suffer from a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Right? A thorn in the flesh. God had to give it to him. Because when we get lifted up or inflated in ourself, our self-sufficiency, the power of God is unable to use us. He's unable to use us the way He desires to. Remember, He's got to get us to where a channel, okay, like a conduit that He can live through and work through and move through. So it has to be less of us. Doesn't the Bible say uh, we have to be uh, God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the despised things, the things that are not, so that the Lord can use us. That's who He's chosen. 
He wants to show His power. It's not, it's not D's power or, or Josh's power or Damien's power as Christians. It's God's power through all of us. And He's going to show Himself mightiest through those that realize that they're the weakest. Not, a, not, not a, in a pretense, but in a real way. You've humbled me, God. I get it. I know it. I don't have to go around and tell everybody, I'm humble, I'm humble, I'm humble. We're broken. And we're humbled. And we know that if He doesn't use us and empower us and strengthen us, then we're just going to stay nothing. He, and he, that's who He's chosen to use. We have to be brought, as, as the author says, you must be brought to an end of yourself before God can begin with you. Not talking about salvation, okay? Salvation, we repent, we turn to God. All this is new to us. We don't understand all the things that we're talking about tonight at that point. But for God to then take me and make me a vessel of honor, sanctified and fit for the Master's use, I have to come to an end of myself before God can begin with me and do what He wants to do. It's actually a wonderful thing, y'all. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And but once we've come to that point, y'all, there's nothing God can't do through our lives. There's nothing. It's wonderful uh, to be that way. And the last, uh, the last thing about his first attempt to be delivered when he was not—it wasn't time, and he wasn't prepared. He was, and I thought this was a wonderful point. He was too apprehensive or conscious of what other men said about him. I never really thought about this, but uh, he looked, the Bible says that in Exodus 2.15, he looked this way and he looked that way. And when nobody was there, then he killed the Egyptian. And the author makes a great point. I never thought about this. What did it matter? If he was really called by God and it was really God's time and he knew in his heart of hearts, it's time. He wouldn't care who was watching. You understand what I'm saying? It wouldn't matter. And so, obviously, at that time, it was just himself trying to do a godly thing, trying to do a good thing. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one was there, nobody was looking, he killed the Egyptian. And guess what? When he found out the thing was known, and they rebuked him basically for it, a few of his Hebrew brothers, that sent him into a uh, fear. That sent him into a panic. He was afraid now. But what would it matter? What would it matter if you were in God's plan like Stephen? We talked about him earlier. He preached publicly. They picked up stones to kill him. He, he kept preaching the truth. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Lay, lay not this sin to their charge. I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the, of the Father. And they rushed on him. In other words, it didn't change his course at all. Because if that, that was what Stephen was called to do, he was in the will of God, Amen. in the time of God, empowered by God. It was all the Lord. And that might have been his whole reason for being on the planet ever, was to be saved and to come to that moment. And we're reading about him and talking about him today and admiring him. I sure do. And because he was, he was in the will of God and it was all the Lord, all the way around. Okay? But Moses looks that way and that way. Nobody's looking. I'm going to kill this guy. Oh no, somebody found out I killed him. I'm afraid. I'm going to run and hide. And he flees out into the desert. Obviously, it wasn't the Lord's timing. The thought was good. 
but he wasn't right in the will of God at that time. It can happen to anyone, okay? Elijah fleeing because Jezebel puts a, a death threat on him. You know, be dead by this time tomorrow. And he flees and goes and hides out after God had used him to do a great miracle and kill all these priests of Baal. Then he gets scared and runs. That, that wasn't uh, exactly what the Lord had you know, called him to do at that, that time. I'm talking about fleeing. But if, if we were in the will of the Lord, who would care what people said about us? And y'all, can I tell you that as Christians, that is maybe one of the hardest lessons to learn. It's the last thought for us tonight is to, to do what's right because it's right. Talk about right in God's sight. Do what's right because it's right regardless of what people say. And I'm not talking about a lost world. We already know they're not going to understand and they're going to despise and ridicule and mock and oppose, okay? But what about when other Christians don't understand what we're doing and the stand that we're taking? There's a lot fewer people that will do that. Do what's right because it's right. Do what's right because it's what God has called you to do. And let the don't, don't let the opinions of men, church men, sway you one way or another. Don't let the opinions of church people put the fear into you where you say, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I'm running hot. Maybe I'll back off a little bit of my decision and try to smooth it over a little bit. Are we going to take the stand like Stephen and just say, this is right. I'm in the will of God. He didn't say those words, but it's obvious. This is right. I'm in the will of God. I'm preaching the truth of God. I'm going to take this stand. I'll live here. If God wants, I'll die here. This is it. We need to live that way, y'all. We need to live that way. Take the stand and do what's right because it's right. And don't care what people say. Even, even those in the church house, what they'll say. Whenever men look this way and that way before they serve God, you can probably be assured they're not really called to do what the Lord's called them to do. I'm going to test the wind and see if, I'm, if, if it's popular among other, other Christians before I do this. Speaking about out against some false doctrine. Speaking out against some false prophet. Uh, separating yourself from, from something that's not of the Lord. Uh, after much prayer and deliverance and knowing, you know, delivering before the Lord. Deliberation. And then taking that stand and not looking this way or that way. If somebody looks at me cross-eyed or gives me a dirty text okay, from the church, uh, oh, maybe I messed up. You better know that you're in the will of God. Do what God's called you to do. You'll never regret that. That's the one God can use. That's the life that's a channel and a vessel that's fit for the Master's use. And, uh, and, and God can carry out His plan perfectly through us. And uh, it has to be the Lord. And we can't care what people think. We just can't do it. And so... Uh, Jesus said, He that sent me is with me. My Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please Him. Now we talk about that Scripture a lot. But He wasn't worried about uh, looking this way or that way to see what people thought. Our Lord was not. Don't ever forget, and you read through the Gospels, we'll see, He, he was constant. 
right? He came to seek and save the lost. He always had the cross ever before him. Uh, from the cradle to the cross, he was very uh, perfectly what the Father had called him to be. He did those things. He said those things. He fulfilled the prophecies. Everything was that way. But during the course of his life, there were times where he was very popular. A couple of times people wanted to make him king of Israel. Right then and there. A couple of other times, maybe a day later or a week later, they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. Or they picked up stones to stone him. Same Jesus, same course he's on. People's opinions do like this. Okay, up and down. Oh, they're going to be so excited that you found religion, for example. But then when you start living a certain way and you're not going to their cocktail parties anymore and all that, then they might find fault with that. You understand what I'm saying? That people are up and down and up and down. Even within the church world, you will find that people are up and down. They want to go this far with the Lord and they're happy with you going this far with the Lord. But when you want to go on further than the Lord, it makes them look bad. And they don't want you to go on further with the Lord. They want you to watch the same movies they watched full of, of cursing that aren't the worst ones, but they're not the best ones either. And they're content with it. They don't want you to live beyond that because they don't want to live beyond that. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, we can't look this way and that way and, and oh, well, nobody's looking. Or we take, we take the stand for God and start walking and then we thought for sure people would realize what I'm doing. I'm taking such a wonderful stand for God and for holiness and for Jesus and for the Bible and for truth and for doctrine. I think everybody should see it and get it and praise me for it. And they don't. Do they? And you go on with the Lord. You go on with the Lord. And you let God do through your life what He wants to do. And, and it's an amazing thing to be used by, that, by the Lord in that way. So Moses, we're close with this. He flees to the desert. He fled from the face of Pharaoh because he was afraid. He was afraid of a man. He was afraid for his own life. And so he flees. He didn't know at that time he was going to be 40 years out there, but he fled. He met his wife there. He becomes a shepherd. And during that time, when we don't read a lot about it, evidently, God was working in it. God was working on him and in him and humbled him. And he was broken. And God said, now, we'll talk about that in another lesson. The burning bush where the Lord calls him. He would come to a point in his life where he didn't fear the wrath of the king. The Bible says. Hebrews. But at this point, he fled from the king, right? He feared the wrath of the king. And so faith is only possible and can really work through us when we know that we're in God's plan. If you're just trying something for God, you're going you're gonna to back out of it at some point. You understand what I'm saying? If you're just trying something for Jesus. Now I think every day we can witness to people and we can tell others about the Lord and we can disciple our children and have a Bible study and tell people about the Lord. But if there's something He's called us to, like a ministry for our lives, we don't just try that. Those martyrs that died for the Lord, they didn't try it. That was what they were called to do and to be. They live for it, or live in it or die in it. That's what they're going to do. They're not looking to the left and right to see who approves of it. They're not waiting for a vote from people around them. And so God wants to use us in that way. And, and when we fail the Lord, y'all, like 
Moses failed the Lord. He was out of his will at that time. There's no sense moaning and groaning about it. You just have to get before the Lord and God called him away and he had to meet with God and be alone with the Lord. And so um, Moses was out of touch with God, I guess you would say, for that little time. But God wanted to do that, that work in him. And so he, he wants to do that work in all of us, y'all. Before we can go out and do what God's called us to do, he's got to make us that. Okay, he's got to make us that. Uh, when, we're, when we're in God's presence, then the pride of man and the pride of our own life just kind of fades away. And that's where he needs to get us. I'm not saying he needs to take us to a desert, but it could be a spiritual desert where you are fasting and praying, where you're alone with the Lord, where you were rushing headlong into something, you're still saved, but you feel like God knocked you back about three or four or five or a hundred steps. And you're like, I'm never going to get to where I want to go. But He can take me from here to there in a moment. He's got to get me where He wants me to be. Age is not a problem with the Lord. How long we've been in the desert, we think for sure we've been here too long. And all these different thoughts that are going through our mind. But the Bible says that Joseph... Uh, in the Old Testament, Joseph was kept in iron. We were in prison in irons and fetters as a slave and then a prisoner until the, his time came, basically, is what it says in the Psalms. The word of the Lord tried him. He probably thought he was in prison too long. But he was in there just long enough. And God took him from prisoner to prime minister in a day. He can do that. But God needed the prison time and he needed the slave time. And he, he worked it in his life to make him that man that God called him to be. So I just want us to close with that. Be, you can comment. Let's just pray tonight and ask the Lord to, to do that in our lives. To bring us to a place of, like that quote, we, God has to bring us to an end of ourselves before He can begin with us. So Lord, bring me to an end of myself. Do what's needed. Forgive me if I have asserted myself ahead of your will and your timing. Forgive me if I have tried to serve you out of my own enthusiasm or compassion or energy. Teach me to wait upon you. That's the hardest part. And allow you to make me what you've called me to be. Isaiah 28, 29 says, This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Everyone that dies to ourselves and realizes we're nothing, we're going to be a vessel He can use. We're going to be a channel through which Almighty God can move and flow and love and speak and live. And there will be no shortage of divine energy and power to go along with it. It's going to be wonderful. He's making us all that. I'm not saying we do nothing for God in the meantime. I'm saying we learn to wait on the Lord. So Father, we come before You tonight. Y'all, this altar's open. Please comment. Just uh, lay yourself before the Lord tonight.